Shabbat Shalom, guys. How many of you guys, when you're out and you're out driving or you're just going into a place where you may not have been before, you look around and you just, wow, that looks, you just uh, marvel at the majesty of your creator and, and what he has done. And, you know, you can look outside, you can see all these great, um, amazing and, and majestic things that the Father has created. I mean, who has a better paintbrush than him? I mean, whether if you're a sunrise or sunset kind of person, either way, I mean, just look at the majesty and the colors and the beauty, right? And then at night, you know, when there's not a lot of clouds and you see the heavens and the stars in the sky and just the wonder and the awe, uh, just the majesty of it all. I mean, it's amazing, right? The same God that created all of this. What an amazing. It's just so awesome to consider. Humbling, isn't it? But to say, though he's done these great and mighty and marvelous things, but yet at the same time, and he wants that relationship with you and he wants to come into a place of, of having just communion with you, to live with you. That's why he said, I want my people to build a place so that I may dwell among them. But here's the thing. Where is Yah? More like where is he not, right? But yet he says he wants us to make sure we prepare a place for him to dwell. See, there's a difference between acknowledging that Yahweh is everywhere and saying, and I will prepare him a place where I will have relationship. And that's one of the things we do here on Shabbat. We're preparing a place and a time that we will have relationship with our Father. That's what he wanted with Adam, you know, to walk in the cool of the day with him. And uh, now we're looking at that restoration. Beautiful thing when we think about it. That's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. We're going to talk about the Feast of Ingathering, you know, which is also called Sukkot. Uh, Sukkot has a lot of different names. You know, the Feast of Tabernacles, or you may have heard Feast of Booths. Uh, you may have heard the Feast of Ingathering. heard the Wedding Feast, you know. And so which one's right? Well, they all are because they, they all fit what's being talked about here. Matter of fact, we're not going to talk about today. But, you know, when Scripture says it was on the last day of the feast that Yeshua says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, that was during Sukkot. When they were, when they were doing the water-pouring-out ceremony, praying to God to send them the right rain at the right time, to give them the water they would need at the right time, and it was at that point Yeshua said, thirsty, let him come to me. Coincidence? No. See, the point I'm, I'm getting at is that Yahweh will use things of where we're at to reveal himself to us. And see, he, he could do it however he wants, but yet he chooses to meet us where we're at. And then he shows us things about ourselves and about him that show what he desires for us. And so as we learn what he is giving us, then we change. You know, we don't know to change unless we find out what he says, right? So that's what we're doing. And, and even here, here today, we're learning the heart of the Father so that we can change, right? All right, so let's look at Sukkot and the Feast of Ingathering. Where do we find the information? Of course, the most chapter 23. We start in verse 39. We're going to go to 39 to 44 for Sukkot. It says, Also in the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto Yahweh seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And you shall take to you the first day of the boughs of goodly trees, the branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and the willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall keep it as a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year, and it shall be a statute forever in your generations that you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. 42. And you shall dwell in booths, that's Sukkot, right? So you shall dwell in booths seven days, all, and all that are Israelites shall dwell in booths, and that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. And uh, Moshe declared these things to the children, the, the feasts of Yahweh. So here's the thing. So why do we build a sukkah? Because we're told to. I mean, how many things do we see in the scripture where that's just the answer? 
So why do we do that? Because we are told to. You know, it doesn't matter if like, well, I don't get it, or I don't understand it, or well, I wouldn't do it that way. Oh, that's irrelevant. He said do it. So we do it. Because sometimes we won't understand until we actually do it a couple times. Sometimes we may never understand. But that doesn't change the heart of the Father for us. Right? He says we honor him by listening to him. So how do we do that? We build a sukkah. And uh, we can get real creative with how we do that. I'm not going to get into that today, but you can be real creative with how they do that. But like, do you ever, have you ever seen Jerusalem during Sukkot? It's not like you have to go off and do a campground for seven days. That's not actually the commandment. Although many people do, there's really nothing wrong with that. The commandment is to build a sukkah and dwell in it for seven days. To be in the sukkah for, for seven days. And then the eighth day is, the, is, the, is also an added day at the end, which is interesting how it does that. But again, we're dwelling with him. We're spending time with him. And uh, like I was saying in Jerusalem, man, these are all over the place. I mean, they're building them on the back patios, putting them on the roofs, putting them out in front of the house. They're everywhere. Why? Because that's what Yahweh said to do. Because sometimes we forget things unless we have reminders. I see some of y'all laughing. Because we know it's true, don't we? We will forget things if we don't have reminders. How many of you guys put reminders in your cell phone? Yeah, you put reminders in your cell phone, and then when the alarm goes off, then you're like, why did I have that set? Right? Why are we given the command for sitio? Reminders. Yeah, remember, to remember. So these are the things that we're given. This is a reminder for us that Yahweh brought us out of Egypt. He brought you out of your oppression. He brought you out of your bondage. He brought you out of the things that held you back to redeem you. So that's why we do it. Because he says it is a reminder that I am the one that protects you. I am the one that is dwelling with you. I am the one that is here with you. And so we honor him in doing that. But we're going to talk, back up a little bit, and we're going to talk about one part of it here today. It says, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land. Now, this was not like the wheat or the barley. When, when, does, when do they gather in the wheat and the barley? Springtime, which, are, which is around like between Pesach and Shavuot, right? Between Passover and Pentecost. So in that time, we're talking about the wheat. So this isn't really that, is it? It's the other fruit of the land that we're talking about. So what other fruit of the land can we be talking about? Well, there's a lot, really, okay? But this was a different part. And, and the word that we often use for fruit, I mean, if you do uh, the blessing for Shabbat, like the, the fruit of the vine, right? What's the word that we use for that word for fruit? Pre. Who said it? Two points. Pre. I am keeping score. <laughs> so, so pre is the word that's used for it. The interesting thing is this word that's used here is not pre. It's tavuah. Tavua, which I believe is the root, is bow. What's bow mean? To come or to go, right? Depending on the context, right? So this, the word used here is tavua, which if you look, the definition for tavua is produce or fruit or grain or just increase or revenue, okay? So in the Hebrew, it's, uh, let me get here so I can see it. et So this word is et tavuot. So aleph taf, fruit, or the aleph taf, increase. So when you have Brought in the increase of the land. So what's the increase of the land? Now, you can say this quite literally. It, it's, it's everything else in the land that springs up and bursts forth and comes out, right? But is there something, like, could this be also used as a metaphor? Could this also be used spiritually in a different aspect? And absolutely, okay? So this is some things I want to share with you. And I got a few uh, definitions from the Theological Word Book of the Old Testament on this word, tevoa. So I want to share some of this stuff with you, all right? So here we go. It says the fourth most frequently occurring verb in the Old Testament, and it is used 2,570 times. For the most part, everyday meanings of go, arrive, enter, like entering a house, or more idiomatically, to die, like to go to the fathers. Uh, bow is associated with the promise fulfillment motif, 
also using the proclamations of salvation that what? Israel will come back to the land. Now we're getting somewhere. Because he said this word will be used in relation to Israel coming back to the land. Now, see, that's exciting. Because yet we see though something dies. Like when you plant a seed, you know, what's that signify? That, that death and then it's bursting forth in life. So it's kind of testifying resurrection, isn't it? Because where did that seed originate? In something else that had life. And it's planted and now it bursts back forth in life. And so here we look at the idea of Israel will return back to the land. What is that but life from that which was considered dead? What's the, what do you think about the whole Valley of Dry Bones is about? About those who didn't know who they were and those that were considered dead and gone, but yet Yahweh is putting the pieces together and calling them to life and calling them to assemble to come back to him. That's exciting, right? All right. Also, used in proclamations of salvation that Israel will come back to the land where? Well, let's look at it. I've got a few uh, scriptures here for you. Micah 4, 6 or 8. In that day, declares Yahweh, I will assemble the lame, gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. Who is that? That's Israel. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And Yahweh will reign over them in Mount Zion and from this time forth and over them in Mount Zion uh, forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come in kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Again, that which was considered gone or that which was considered lame is going to be restored and brought back to the Father. Isn't that hope for us? Next, Isaiah 35, 10. And the ransom of Yahweh shall return, return to where? To Israel, to Jerusalem, to a place of his name, right? So the ransom of Yahweh shall return and come to Zion, how? Singing and everlasting joy will be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isaiah 51, 11. And the ransom of Yahweh shall return and come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their, didn't I just read that? Different verse, isn't it? See? But it's, again, when Yahweh repeats himself, you think we should listen, right? Here we are again. So it says the same thing. Okay, again, Zephaniah 3.20. And at that time, I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the people of the earth when I restore your fortunes before, before your eyes, says Yahweh. So a restoration of bringing back in, and it says that all the nations, the people in the nations will see it. See, that what better way to testify he is God than for the, for the whole world to see his goodness and to see his marvelous works, right? I mean, the whole world knew what happened in Egypt when he brought them out. When they were in the wilderness, the testimony was, we heard, right? Well, how did they hear? Because all those who came out were stuck together. How did they hear? Because everyone was talking about it, right? See, when Yahweh does mighty things, it's going to cause a stir, not just among his people, but the world is going to. Ezekiel 11, 16 and 17. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I removed them from among the nations, scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the people, assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. So when he brings his people back who have been scattered in all the nations and have been put in all the nations, he says, I'm going to bring you back to your land, Israel. So who were the ones that were scattered? He's, when he says, I'm going to bring you back, that implies they were there before. So who is it? Israel. And as we learn from the dry bones and the two sticks and all join with them, right? Ezekiel uh, 34, 11 to 13. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself, who? Yahweh himself, right? I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. I wonder how he would do that. 
As a shepherd seeks his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the people, gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. Where are the mountains of Israel? What part? The northern territory. Who was in the northern territory of Israel? Yosef, Ephraim. Who got scattered into all the nations? Yosef, Ephraim. <laughs> See? It's, it's, it's interesting because we talk about Sukkot being the feast of ingathering and coming in together and all God bringing all his people back. Right? But we don't know what that means. And the restoration and the return of Israel is the largest prophecy in the entirety of the Scripture. People don't talk about it. Even Yeshua coming is involved in that specific prophecy. People don't know that. Okay? Look, Matthew 9. 36 to 38. Yeshua, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved uh, with compassion on them because they had fainted. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest will he will send laborers into the harvest. Why? Because he wants to bring in his people together and store them and gather them together into him, right? But what else does he have to say about it? Matthew 12, 30, he says, he that is not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. So again, this is an idea of who do we stand with and who do we stand for? You know, it's funny because so many people, they're so worried getting out there and what they're against. Who are the people standing up with what we're for? Look, Luke eleven twenty three. 23. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters. We need to be a people who learn to work unity and to show the heart of the Father. That's what I'm getting. At. And then who did Yeshua say that he came for? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, again, this is something that just gets glossed over when people are reading. Well, when is he going to gather in all those people? Well, he did it there, right? But we do know that there's a lot of prophecy in the Scripture that's cyclical. Things that have been done, we see again. And so when's it going to happen? When he comes back, right? Deuteronomy 30, 1 and 2. And it will come to pass when all these things shall come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind where? Among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you shall return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you this day, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. So he says when you return to him, you will be obedient to him. Because the word there is Shema, right? To listen to him with intent of obedient. So it's not like we repent and we come to Yahweh and we say, you're my king, you're my God, you're my Lord, you're my master, you're my everything, but I'm going to listen to you. It doesn't work like that. Okay? When we, when we return to him, we return to him. Okay? So, Jeremiah 31, 8 through 10. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coast of the earth, and with them the blind of the lame, the woman with the child, or her that travails with child together. The great company shall return thither, and they shall come with weeping and with supplications. Will I, feed, will, I, will I lead them? And I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in the straight way wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of Yahweh, O you nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. Who's our shepherd? Well, yeah, Yahweh is our shepherd, but when Yeshua came, what did he say? I'm the good shepherd, right? So if he is our shepherd, what is a shepherd supposed to do? To, to gather in and protect the sheep. So isn't that the purpose? 28, 25. 
Thus says the Lord God, when I shall have gathered the house of Israel from, um, from the people among where they are scattered, and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen, that they shall dwell in their land that I have given to my servant Jacob, that they shall dwell safely therein, and shall build houses and plant vineyards, and they that dwell with confidence and have executed judgments upon all those that despise them round about them, and they shall know that I am Yahweh their God. Awesome. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 5. Woe be to the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says Yahweh. See that? Let me put it this way. Leaders who are leading astray the sheep will be held accountable. Period. Verse 2. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away. You have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you your evil doing, says Yahweh, and I will gather who? The remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them again to their folds, and they will be fruitful and increase. Verse 4. And I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, says Yahweh. Behold, the days come, says Yahweh, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, shall execute judgment and justice on the earth. You know, when it says that Yeshua came and he saw the multitudes and they were scattered and they were faint-hearted and they weren't doing well, right? Why? Because they were scattered and all over the place and faint-hearted. I believe this is physically, but spiritually too. But the fulfillment right here in Jeremiah is what Yeshua was quoting from, if you didn't catch that from him. Because he says that because the people were scattered and helpless, but yet he's the shepherd, the good shepherd, who was supposed to come in and to teach properly the heart of Yahweh was for his people, right? Jeremiah 29, 12. So then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, says Yahweh, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says Yahweh, and I will bring you again to the place where I caused you to be carried away captive. Wow. Jeremiah 32, 37. Behold, I will gather them out of the countries where I have driven them in my anger and in my fury and in my great wrath, and I will bring them, what's the word? Again, to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them, look at this, one heart, one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. He's going to give us one heart and one way. Whose heart is he going to give us? If he gives us one heart, there's got to be somebody's heart to give it, right? It's his. One way, whose way? Hey, right? So we have to learn what that is. How, do we, how can we say, Yahweh, I'm going to follow you if we're not going to read? <laughs> if we're not going to listen, to try, we'll try to listen for his voice, to try to come together and, and, and to try to talk about things that we may not understand, right? Verse 40, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and, and I will not turn away from them and do the, to do them good, but I will... Put my fear in their hearts that they will not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly, what? With my whole heart and with my whole soul. That is huge. Do you realize there is only one place, one time in the entirety of all the scripture where God says he's going to do something with all his heart? Only one time. And it's this right here. The thing where he as he's going to do with all his heart is bring the people back to the land, return them to Israel, and bring them back to their home. If this is the thing on the Father's heart, where's our role in it? To go back and be part of the restoration. Look, Deuteronomy 31-10, through 10, again, we're in verse 4 now. 
So if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there Yahweh your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. This implies that this is where they will be. You know, it's kind of like uh, we see in other scripture where it says, like example, pray that your, your flight isn't in, in the winter. Well, guess what it could be? <laughs> so this is what we're looking at. So, so if your outcasts were in the uttermost parts of the heaven, in other words, all over the world, that from there, see, you are not so far out that Yahweh cannot reach you. There is no place he cannot find you. And when he brings his people home, it doesn't matter where you are. He will return you to him. So the word there was kavatz. The word for gather you was kavatz. And again, the definition of this. By accomplishing such a clear prophecy, God exhibits his sovereignty and therefore sanctifies himself to those who are gathered. And in Ezekiel 20, verse 41, we see, As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the people, gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nation. So where will you be? In the nations. So he's going to meet you in the nations and bring you back to himself and to his place. I mean, why do you think people talk about a new Jerusalem? Where's the relevance of it? It's, he's bringing you back to, to his place. So where's the goal? Ultimately, just to come back into his presence, right? Look, Genesis 49.1. Jacob called to his sons and he said what? Gather yourself together. When, right before he was about to pass, Jacob, or also known as what? Israel. Jacob, or speaking to his sons, and he says, gather yourselves together. The word there for gather is, is uh, um, for, same word for, used for Yosef, because Asaf is to gather in, right? He says, Ha'asfu, gather yourselves in. So Yosef means to gather, to gather in. That I may tell you what will befall, this is interesting, in the last days. The word there, literally in the last days do you think that Yahweh may have been giving a spirit of prophecy to Jacob to his sons that what would happen to them in the last days not just talking about like the towards the end of their life but like literally in the last days so what's going to happen in the last days he says Israel gather yourselves in together I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the last days this gathering in together of Israel is happening in the last days look Word uh, Genesis 49 2, it says, In the end of days, what's going to happen? Gather yourselves together, that's Kavatz, and hear, sons of Jacob, and hearken to who? Israel, your father. Literally, El Israel of Avechem, your father. So again, who, who are we called by? Who are we associated with? Understanding that Romans 11 says that it said that you're grafted into the tree. Well, this tree is Israel. How about Ephesians chapter 2 says you used to be Gentiles. We don't associate as being Gentiles anymore. We are a part of a people of covenant. And according to Ephesians 2 says you are part of the commonwealth of Israel. And just to throw it out there, you ain't replacing nobody. But you are called to, be, to be come in alongside, be a part of the family and help. Problem is when we try to come in to be a part of the family, we try to come in and tell the family how to run everything. No. You come in and be a part of the family to help with what the family needs. Not to try to come in so they can do it my way, because guess what? Your way ain't his way. And it takes some time to learn that, doesn't it? But we all got to be in that process. Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 10, we're in verse 5 now. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And that Yahweh your God will put uh, all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. 
And you shall again obey the voice of Yahweh and keep all his commandments that I command you this day. Notice he says, you come into me and I will circumcise your heart. How many of you thought that was just like a New Testament concept? That it's actually in the Torah. It's in the Torah. It's also in Jeremiah where he says to circumcise your heart. What does that mean? That means turn your heart toward covenant and let him remove the things that don't need to be there. Turn your heart towards him. Make it a place that's soft and pliable in his hands. Right? John 10, 27. Yeshua says, my sheep do what? Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So is that enough to hear his voice? No. There has to be this, and they follow me. The thing is, understanding this phrase, my sheep hear my voice, the phrase, hear my voice, means obey me. <laughs> and that's what we kind of like skip over. <laughs> but it means, it's Shema, to hear with the intent of obedience. So my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Is it enough? Say, the, 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 the shepherd is going to get the sheep and the sheep hear his voice but they just keep like doing off and doing as sheep do right or goats goats are kind of like cats they, they don't care you know, they're just doing their own thing it doesn't matter but the sheep the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and and, and they they come right and what happens it doesn't come then the shepherd goes to get it and sometimes it's this nice wonderful imagery and sometimes it's not we don't think we want to talk about that part right but the goal is to get the sheep to bring it back in John 15, 10, Yeshua says, again, Yeshua speaking, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, we kind of skip that too. We say, see, understand that Yeshua did not come to say anything different than what people have already been told. He just came to show them there's a, that's not how it was, that's not how you were supposed to do it. <laughs> so he showed us. And he said, the things that I am doing, if you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. So do these two contradict? Never. And Yeshua even said also, as well, the words that I'm giving you, the things that you're seeing done, they're not mine, but they're the words of the Father, right? 1 John 5, 2 and 3. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and what? Obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Kind of throw in that last part in there. This is that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you know when his commandments become burdensome? When we don't want to do it. <laughs> Matter of fact, anything you don't want to do becomes a burden. Anything you don't want to do, well, that's just legalistic. Because you don't want to do it. You know the problem? We don't want to die. But Yeshua says, take up your cross. See, we have to learn, like Rav Shaul says, I die how often? Daily. And if he had to do it daily, maybe we should be put on an hourly regimen. I mean, look what he went through, right? How many of us have been through half of what he's been through? You know? mm -mm. Back to Deuteronomy 30, verse 9. Yahweh your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of the ground. For Yahweh will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. When you, see, there's, again, there's these parts that we miss, right? We like to read part of the scripture, but then this thing says, this is what's going to happen for you and all these blessings. We're like, yes, if you're obedient. What? Huh? No, I didn't hear that part. Let's skip it, right? No, there's conditions on this. I'm not talking about conditions on your salvation. I'm talking about conditions. You can be born again and not be walking fully in the blessing that he wants for you, okay? This is decisions that we need to make. So again, it says, verse 10, when you obey the voice of Yahweh your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of the law, when you turn to Yahweh your God, how? With all your heart. How do we do that? Well, first off, here's a good place to start. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Shema. It's a declaration of faith, a declaration of who he is to us, a declaration he is our God, we will serve no other. And notice there's instructions involved in it. 
You know, it's not just a, it's not just to say I have faith. There's tasks at hand. There are things you need to do. When you go through and you read Deuteronomy 6 and the accompanying portions in Deuteronomy 11 and Numbers 15, these are things that we have to do. So we believe he is our God. We hear his voice. Therefore, oh, you talk about them. You put them on your gate. You, do, you teach it to your children. You know? There are things we are instructed to say because we believe. Right? John eleven forty seven to 52. Okay. So understand, Yeshua, when he went to the cross, his death, crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all of this was, be, was being involved in the part of the gathering of Israel. And, and again, this is something that we don't commonly see because we're not taught the association. Much like in Leviticus chapter 4, we read that if the high priest sins, he brings guilt on the whole assembly of Israel. There's a connection between the life of the high priest and the people of Israel itself. Much further, when, the, when the, uh, the, the, someone who was guilty of, of, of manslaughter, when he went to what the cities of Herod, the cities of, uh, what am I thinking of? Yes, refuge, that word. To the cities of refuge, this was a place of safety. This was a place where they could come in because they didn't intend to cause harm, but they did, right? So this was a place where they could come and be safe. And even though they didn't intend to, but they were guilty. They did do it, right? But yet when the high priest died they could return back home in safety. There's a connection here because at the death of the high priest, it brought a restoration in this that now those who were guilty, those who had shed blood, those who had problems, they could now return and be part of the people again. They could turn and come back to Israel and live in Israel. This is the principle that is being spoke of in John 11. John 11, when they're talking about what are we going to do with this man Yeshua, right? In John 11, it says, They gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees of the council, and they said, So what do we? For this man does many miracles. And if we let him alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Now, just as a side note, what was the real issue they had with Yeshua? Because if people would start to believe in him, do other things, and it would remove them from their place of power and influence. And isn't that what it's always about? See? So again, the issue they had was not really against Yeshua. It was about pride, right? Not touching the that today. Anyway, verse 49. So one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, he said to them, you know nothing at all. Look at verse 50. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and, not, and that the whole nation perish not. Verse 51. And this he spake not of himself, but he being high priest that year, he prophesied that Yeshua would die for that nation, but what's the next verse say? Not for that nation only, but also that he should gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So who were the children of God that were scattered into the nations at the time Yeshua was here? The lost sheep. Those that were scattered in. Those that were gone into all the nations. Those that you read about in all the prophets that talk about, so there's Israel in all the nations. They've gone in there. They've fallen into idolatry. And they forgot who they were. But you, this is what's happening here. Even the high priest recognized that, in, that when Yeshua, if we do this, he is, is good that he, that he dies not just for the nation here, but the nation of all, all the children of God that are everywhere. Look, Jeremiah 50, verse 17. Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria has devoured him, and lest Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has broken his bones. Micah, Micah 2.12 says, I will surely assemble Jacob, all of you. Who? How many? All of you. And I will surely gather the remnant of Israel, and I will put them together as the sheep of Bozrah, as the flock in the midst of their fold, and they shall make great noise by the reason of the multitude.
multitude of men. And again, Yeshua, Matthew 10, 6, he was talking to his Talmudim, and he said, go to whom? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 15, 24, Yeshua says, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so when we read about Sukkot, what it talks about, so when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, and then we find pictures of like Yeshua talking about, look at the harvest. We need to gather them in. And he's not talking about food. He's talking about people. So who's this gathering in from the fruit of the land that we're talking about? It's a gathering in of the people from all nations. Interesting because Sukkot is also like the Feast of the Nations. Why would it have that name? Because that's what it's about. Gathering in from all the nations and from all everywhere to come into this place. Hmm. So when we see gathering in the fruit, and we're told in, in uh, Leviticus 23.40 to take these four species and rejoice before the Lord our God, there's some things that we can say about it. There's a lot of midrash. There's a lot of speculation. And there's a lot of talk. You know, should we do it? Should we not do it? Or anything else? But what's the bottom line come down to? Did God say do it? And if it is within our ability to do it, should we do it? And what I mean, let me define this. When I say it is within our ability to do it, I'm not saying, well, I don't want to. Is that within our ability? Is that what I'm talking about? No. I mean, do we literally physically have the capability to get what he said and do with it what he said? Yes. Then should we do it? Yes. Why? Because he said so. <laughs> you bet. Amen, sister. I said it again. She's got it. How many of us as parents have told our kids the same kind of thing? Oh, Christy's jumping up and down better. She's like, how many times have you responded and you thought after the fact, you know, your kid said something, you're like, why, why? You know, because I said so. And then you turn around and you think, why, 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 why? But see, you have a reason, don't you? Can you always explain your reason to your child in a way that they will comprehend and do it? Furthermore, do they need to understand why you ask them? What are you expecting at that moment? Obedience. Obedience. John, you were in Desert Shield. If your superior came to you and said, dig a hole, would it, would it benefit you to say why? <laughs> if someone would have yelled, duck, why? <laughs> there are some times we need to just do what he said. And here's the hard part. Can we have a heart of obedience to do it if we don't know why? See, because we think, I'm not going to do it unless I understand it. Guess what? That's not faith. That is saying, I'm not going to do what God says unless my own little box. That is an idol. That's, that's, that's not serving God. That's serving your God. And so we need to learn to serve him. And if he said us to do something, we should just do it. And further, when he brings us in and he gathers us all in from all the nations, I can guarantee you it's not going to happen the way you think. Are you going to defy that? <laughs> it wouldn't be a good idea, would it? See, that's what I'm getting at. When he says, I'm going to gather you in and I'm going to bring you in, we don't know how, okay? But yet, we need to trust him. And we need to just listen to him because I guarantee there's clues everywhere. I guarantee it. He gave us his word. He gave us the scripture. There are things all over the place that just we may not be able to see yet what we need to see. But that doesn't mean God's not working, right? We, just, we need to listen to him. Now, about the four fruit, the, the four species. The etrog and the lulaf, they represent a person. The palm looks like a backbone. The myrtle, what does myrtle look like? Eyes. The willow leaves look like mouth. And the etrog looks like a heart. The lesson is that we are supposed to thank God with our whole body as a body. Together, they symbolize the whole man, the entire community of Israel. Unity in the body and unity of the community. Gathering into one, all people from everywhere and being in his presence and rejoicing as we do. Right? Okay. What was the blessing for Yehuda? In Deuteronomy 33, the blessing for Judah that was given by Moshe. Yehuda, he said, Hear Adonai the cry of Yehuda. Bring him into his people. Let his own hands defend him. 
but you help him against his enemies. Let me ask you a question. Does it say bring him into his people? Does that make sense? I mean, that's kind of confusing sounding, isn't it? Bring him to his people. How can you bring him to his people? He's already part of his people. How can you bring him to his people? Look, in the Hebrew, it's Baal Amo Tivienu. Literally reading reads like this. Near or among his people, bring us. That changes things, doesn't it? Now when we're talking about gathering in people from all nations and everywhere, gathering into a people of Israel, now it makes sense. It's saying gathering in from all these other people and, in, and near him, bring us. Now we talk about being grafted into the tree and being brought in and joint heirs and brothers. Yeah, now it all kind of clicks. Again, context is a big deal when you're looking at Scripture. Zechariah 8.23. Thus says, In those days it shall come to pass, ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him who is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Question. Ten men, all nations, all languages. How does that fit? Because normally in the Scripture, even talking about all the nations of the earth, it will use it representatively as 70 nations, Right? The 70 nations of the earth, the 70 nations of the world, right? That's normally talks about 70 nations. But here it says 10 in all the nations. There's only one way this fits, and that is the 10 tribes who are northern kingdom that were scattered into all the nations of the world, but looking for a place of restoration to return back to his people. How do we return and go back to this people? Well, who is this Jew that they're going to grab hold of and say, we've heard God is with you, we're going to come with you. Guess what? That's Yeshua. This is our Messiah. I'm saying we will come and we will grab hold of you and Yahweh Sava'ot in him will bring us back into his people. And that's a part of restoration. Now again, we're still talking about gathering. Gathering in, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and has many members and all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Yeshua as Mashiach. In other words, we're all part of the same body we may have different functions, might look different, think different, act different, whatever, but we're all part of the same body. So if we learn our function, the problem is we learn our function and think that's how everything else has to function. But if we learn our function and then connect to the part we're supposed to connect to and let them do their function, then the body becomes one that is doing what it's supposed to do. It is glorious, and it benefits the whole body, right? That's what we're supposed to look at. We've got to learn to gather in and be parts of this where we connect. So the testimony of one body, Mashiach, is the love that we have for one another. Amen? John 15, 13 and 14. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. First John 5, 2 and 3 again. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. We understand the restoration and relationship has always been and is always and always will be the heart of Yahweh. And that's what we're looking at. So when we talk about the Feast of Ingathering, why did you think they call it like the marriage feast? Because that's a part of us coming in to dwell with him forever. When it says you have the festival seven days and then the eighth day, a separate day, seven days plus one. Why? Because the seven days is the completion of a cycle. Coming in to dwell with him and do that. Eight is a new beginning and enter into forever. So this marriage feast, it's, it's coming in and having relationship with him and being in this marriage, and now we're going to dwell with him forever. The Feast of the Nations, the Feast of Ingathering, the Marriage Feast, all of these are the same. And it's, it's all the time to just come before him, be joyful in his presence, honor him, and learn to connect with each other. You know, there are some people who, who we don't get opportunities to see other people of Yahweh unless it's during the festival. So 
Make the connections, you know? Learn where the different pieces and the parts connect. Why? So that we can all do what we're supposed to do. Share the heart of the Father. Testify of His heart, His good, and help bring about this restoration that's called us to. Amen? So again, last time, Jeremiah 32, 37 to 41, what is on the heart of Yahweh? I will gather them from all the countries to which I have drove them in my anger and my wrath and great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after. Verse 40, and I will make with them an everlasting covenant and I will not turn away from doing them good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me and I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. May it be that we see the heart of the Father. May we see our part in this restoration. And may we go and do our part in the nation. Amen.